I hope oh. Ralphus isn't sick to his stomach. Oh. I am. Oh, he is now! Oh. He is now! It's the traffic cone enema move. Two ball in the oh. side pocket. Wow. The traffic cone enema move. Well, that's where it was placed. You've been listening to me a bit too long, Siobhan. Well, you're right, ab you're right about that, man. Welcome to Keep It 2000, a joke that turned into a wrestling podcast that has revealed itself to be a psychological experiment. We are proudly part of the post-wrestling family. I am Brian Mann, and joining me is my fellow test subject, Nate Milton. Nate, this is a big one. It's, it's the beginning of a new era on today's show. I, I swear this is the fifth or sixth new era that has begun uh, during this short time we've done the show. You're looking sharp. You're dressed sharp for the occasion. Did did Kiwi put this outfit together for you? I mean, this is a celebration. You know, we we are here to celebrate our new champion, our, our new king, if you will. And I haven't been this excited since uh, you know Tashala had his coronation in Wakanda. So I, I'm uh, I'm dressed to the nines, dressed to impress. Uh, got my got my Sunday best on, if you will. And 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 why wouldn't I? Because this is, of course, the universe's favorite interracial. I guess interracial is how you would say it. I'm so excited I can't even get my tagline out. Uh, we're the universe's favorite interracial, cross-generational pop culture podcast dedicated to the genius. And this might be one week where we can actually declare genius of one Vincent James Russo. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm good. I'm glad to be here, brother. It is uh, in the timeline of WCW. We're in the midst of summer. So uh, I, I, I get, you know, the, the real world time confused with WCW time sometimes. But uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here for this uh, royal coronation of, I guess you could say, King Booker. That is correct, Nate. It is King Booker time. And your tagline is also accurate once again because Vince Russo is in charge. Terry Taylor is out. Vince Russo is showing back up for work again. Over the weekend, Bash of the Beat, some crazy shit happened. Uh, Hulk Hogan's out. He's suing the company. Booker T is our world champion. And uh, why wait? Let's go ahead and bring in this week's guest test subject. He is the screenwriter of Fist Fight starring Ice Cube and the upcoming films Sonic the Hedgehog and Wedding Crashers 2. Evan Susser is here with us. Evan, welcome aboard the satellite. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. This is going to be some fun. Uh, of course. And thank you for uh, for watching this episode. You uh, Uh-huh. The thing is, people never. Whenever someone comes on, it's very rare that we have an episode that does not prompt discussion. But there actually were some positives uh, in this episode. Now, I'm curious for you, what were you? Are you a wrestling fan? Were you watching the year 2000? Where what companies were you watching? So I like probably. I think the story of a lot of wrestling fans have gone in and out of wrestling fandom. Yeah. So when I was a real little kid, like Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior. Uh, that kind of stuff. I was into that. Then I kind of fell off. Then I got really into it in the Attitude Era. Uh, then fell out again. Then got into it 
again uh, around 2007-ish for a little bit. And then in the past year or so, I've gotten back into it. Uh, I live in Los Angeles. I've gone to uh, PWG a few times out here and also have started kind of watching WWE again. So I've mostly, though, always been a WWF, WWE guy uh, and not so I was not watching any of this when it first happened. And WCW in general is all kind of uh, foreign to me. Gotcha. So outside of just like the high points of like NWO and Goldberg, not not yeah. a lot of WCW knowledge. Right. I mean, I now as kind of watching and getting familiar with it again, you know, so I know who Booker T is, obviously. Uh, and, you know, some of uh, and I've kind of know these people if they've crossed over into WWF. But yes, a lot of not a ton of uh, deep WCW knowledge. Uh, great, great. Then, 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 you know, feel free to ask any mm-hmm. questions along the way. I'm sure they will pop up. This show <laughs> does right, a I terrible will. job mm-hmm. of explaining itself. Uh, but now, Evan, we know where you were uh, in the year 2000. Before we jump into this nitro, let's see uh, where pop culture was at. Uh, it only makes sense you're coming to us from Hollywood that we take a look at the movie charts. Sure. So uh, mm-hmm. let's look at the day of this nitro. The number one film in America was the first scary movie. I'm in the house. You know where I am. You're behind the couch. I can um, see your feet. What? Oh. I think I. I saw it opening night or the opening weekend at least and thought it was and it was played to a full audience and I thought it was the funniest movie and then I went back the next night and it was or the next day and it was like <laughs> half full and I was like oh this isn't actually very funny <laughs> um, but uh, but it had a certain kinetic uh, you know energy to it and especially playing to a full audience there was something uniquely outrageous to it at the time uh, what about you guys did you see it when it uh, when it came out oh yeah I I vividly remember a scary movie it was something that I enjoyed. You know, I'm not a fan of horror movies per se, but to have this parody, this spoof, <laughs> if you will, on, on the horror genre and Scream in particular, I, I thought was pretty funny. And I'll go as far as to say I enjoyed the first two scary movies, which I believe were the only ones that were Keenan Ivory Wayans joints. Yes, I, I, I believe that's right. Yeah, I believe the Zuckers then took I think over after three. The, yeah, after, after the first two, it kind of turned into maybe more of a, a naked gun st- type of broad mm-hmm. comedy as opposed to kind of the, the sharp sharper parody of the first two. Yeah, they definitely... Uh, so I think we should point out that not a lot of the... The first two movies age very well. Uh, those later ones certainly don't have the Wayans <laughs> trademark homophobia that are all over the first two films. Um, I personally was always a bigger fan of Scary Movie 2 more than the first Scary Movie. I don't know if you remember yeah. this, but there's a running character in the first Scary Movie who is the uh, high school gym coach, and she might be a man, which was, of course, <laughs> comedy gold in 2000. She has a pair of testicles that fall out of her, of her underwear at one point. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that coach's name is Coach Man. So that was a running joke against me for the entire year that that film uh, came out. So that, that, that's, that was my particular uh, interaction with this film when it came out. I also didn't see it until it came out on VHS because uh, I was not old enough to see it when it came is, out. Is uh, a scary theaters. movie, too, the one where uh, Chris Elliott's like, uh, the this hand? is my yeah. strong head. Yes, that, that, it's, it's a stupid bit. but it- It's such a good bit, though. Yeah, I do think I would be I would be hard pressed to be able to differentiate which 
sequences are in which movies. Um, they do kind of, at a certain point, all start blending together. Well, but, well there's, uh, there's yeah. definitely the scene in the first movie where, um, I believe it's Damon Wayans. Uh, is it? No. I forget which Wayans it is, but uh, he gets uh, stabbed to death by a dick in a glory hole in a movie theater. Uh-huh. Uh, which had to be one of the first times that a, a erect penis was shown in a mainstream film. Uh, and also, I, I don't know, do they really have glory holes at movie theaters? I thought that, I don't really know if that's the, <laughs> if that's the kind of place where a thing like that goes down. Well, adult movie theater. Was it an adult movie theater? Or no, they're, just, it, they're no. seeing Shakespeare in Love. Oh, yeah. Huh. Not too many that I've been to. But, you know, it was a different time. It was the 2000s. It, yeah, was. it seems very counterproductive. Like, if you're going to have that set up, like, maybe you'd get some run at the beginning of the movie where they're doing, like, the movie trivia and nobody's really paying attention. <laughs> but once the once the feature starts, I, I figure, you know, whoever's operating that glory hole is is going to be pretty uh, bored for the rest of the <laughs> rest of the night. Well, this was also pre-smartphone. So glory holes might have been a lot more uh, rampant before we had Sudoku and Bejeweled in our pocket all the time. <laughs> well... We've, we, we've sufficiently discussed Scary Movie. Let's go ahead and jump into this episode of Nitro. Last night at Bash at the Beach, Booker T realized a lifelong dream when he defeated Jeff Jarrett to become the new WCW World Champion. Our episode starts with a Booker T highlight package ending in him winning the world title. Yep, you heard that right. Booker T is now the world champion after all the mess that happened over the weekend. Uh, Nate, when did you learn about Booker being champ? Did you hear about it earlier in the day on the internet, or were you just shocked when you turned into Nitro uh, when this first aired? Probably would have been this Nitro, because while I was active on the uh, AOL wrestling chat rooms, I don't think... I had logged in the night of Bash at the Beach or uh, earlier that Monday. So this would have been the first time with this video package here. And I was shocked. I was stunned. And while I was I was enthusiastic and, and happy about it, uh, because I was always a fan of Booker T back then, and, you know, just having that representation of a world champion that, that looked like me, even back then, you know, it, it, it meant something. So while it was a surprise and I didn't know how we got from A to B uh, or A to T, as it would be in this case, uh, I was I was very happy with uh, with the change from Jeff Jarrett to Booker T. I'm sorry. Wait. So can you explain? Because I didn't watch Bash at the Beach. Why was this so confusing? How this all shook out? Evan, that's the perfect setup. Uh, so okay. essentially what happened was, so all this past week, they they didn't know how to get out of uh, the match they had with Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan and Jeff Jarrett had a match this past weekend for the title. Hulk Hogan has a creative clause in his contract, and he stipulated that he wanted a world title match. They didn't want to put him in a world title match, and he also wasn't willing to lose to Jeff Jarrett. So all week, they're trying to figure out, okay, what's the finish? How do we get to this thing? How do we get uh, Jeff, how, how do we get Hulk Hogan winning this match without him actually getting the belt? Well, what they ended up coming up with was at the pay-per-view, Jeff Jarrett comes out and just lays down for Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan pins oh, him, leaves with the belt. Okay, I, yes, I've heard this of whole this. work yes. shoot. Mm-hmm. Where then, <laughs> and then Vince Russo cuts a promo where he buries Hulk Hogan. This was all supposed to be part of a storyline. However, Vince Russo went too far, set them things that upset Hulk Hogan, and then he legitimately sued the company and never showed back up ever again. This was supposed to set up down the line a champion versus champion match between Booker and Hulk Hogan. That's never going to happen. Hulk Hogan is done. He is never mentioned on the show. He is never mentioned in this company ever again. 
Oh, man, this is I didn't quite realize that this was such a pinnacle moment I was watching. I should have done a little more research uh, because I have heard of this uh, yeah. before. But they actually do a pretty good job of kind of obscuring all of that in the broadcast. Yeah, it's it's this it's that weird thing where Vince Russo wants to treat it as though, OK, how would we do if this was real? We wouldn't mention it. But also, if you didn't know that it hadn't like if you had no idea that it had happened, you're also completely left in the dark. And that's what I think <laughs> yeah. most people were. And for me as a viewer, that's what I was because I was younger. I saw I went on WCW.com that night after the show. I read about what had happened. But then when Hogan was just never mentioned again, it didn't like pique my interest or anything. I just forgot about him. There is one line in the commentary, which I thought was just normal wrestling commentary BS, that said, a lot happened, which we legally can't talk about uh, <laughs> at Bash of the Beach. And I was kind of like, oh, like the only way. And then they go into trying to sell the encore presentation. But I just thought that was, you know, how in normal wrestling they don't show you the full match or whatever on the next night because they're trying to get people to buy the pay-per-views. But uh, so I guess... That was, well, I guess I was kind of into this whole work shoot, but also, I guess, real legal case. Right. They lucked out in that their storyline ended up being what actually happened. Because uh, when this episode happened, uh, an injunction hadn't been filed yet. Uh, mm -hmm. But it would eventually. Uh, it's funny, I was going to bring this up later, but uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Kevin Eck, who I used to work at WWE with, was a member of the WCW magazine staff at this <laughs> time. And... They were actually writing an article about this incident for the magazine when two weeks after this, they were then told by Turner, never mention it ever again. Don't put that in the magazine. So they were supposed <laughs> like there was a, uh, you know, they had an idea of how they're going to sell the storyline. And then it got shut down two weeks later. So right now mm -hmm. they're just saying that legally they can't talk about it. But then actually legitimately legally, they will not be able to talk about it in a little bit. Um, oh, that's interesting. This opening video package, uh, Evan, what did you uh, what you think of this? I actually did kind of like this package, and I thought kind of the premise of this podcast was, and there's some other stuff later in the show that, that I didn't like as much, but uh, I thought that there was, it was kind of a nice uh, setting up Booker T, setting up his brother, uh, Houston's tough neighborhoods. Um, <laughs> and I thought, I thought that as far as, pack, and also, you know, I kind of... Uh, you know, it's interesting to see the way the different shows do it. It definitely had more of a sports uh, package to it than the way mm -hmm. maybe WWF would do uh, something like this. So I thought it, it, it did get me up to speed, except not, I guess not getting up me up to speed at all. <laughs> what had literally just happened. Um. Yeah, I thought it was it was a good, good choice to start with, especially when you probably had a lot of people that did not purchase that pay-per-view. And they're coming into this fresh, you know, not knowing what happened with the title. And, yeah, I thought it was a great way to present Booker. I thought that uh, it was Tanae doing the narration, right? Correct. I thought Tanae was a good choice because no disrespect to Tony Schiavone. We all know and loves Tony Schiavone. But I thought Tanae just had that 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 professorial voice, I guess you could say, that, that made it come across as more of a, a fact-based piece within this world of fiction. Yeah, I agree with that. The announcers welcome us to the Jacksonville Coliseum in Jacksonville, Florida, before recapping last night's impromptu world championship match. Booker T comes out dressed in Bruce Bruce's hand-me-downs. These, these clothes look to be about three sizes too big for him, Nate. Um, the crowd gets a modestly warm reaction and eventually starts a light Booker T chant. 
Booker says he's come out here not to cut a promo, but to speak from the heart. He reveals his one regret is that his mother is not here to see this, and he gets down on one knee and points to the sky. Booker then thanks all the fans for their support over the last eight years. Booker then mentions Goldberg and the crowd boos. I'm going to spell it out for you. M-A-R-K. You are marked for yourself, and you are marked for the business. These people right here in this arena made you what you are today. Finally, Booker turns his attention to his wife. No, not his current wife, though she is also on this show. Rather, (laughs) Booker's first wife, Levestia. Booker asks security to bring her in the ring. This takes roughly 30 minutes because she wasn't actually at ringside and Doug Dillinger had to go and find her wherever she was in the crowd. He thanks her for standing by him uh, while he was away on the road. They then kiss and the Harlem Heat theme music plays, which brings out big brother Stevie Ray. The announcers fear that Stevie is here to rain on Booker's parade. Stevie tells his little brother to listen. He says he remembers when Booker T was born. He remembers pushing him on a tricycle. He remembers letting Booker borrow his clothes, which appears to be what they're doing tonight as well. (laughs) Stevie charts their career from starting in Texas to working all the way up to WCW, and now Booker is the heavyweight champion of the world. So I'm here tonight to tell you, you're my brother. I'm proud of you. And I love you. All right. Wow. Yeah. He didn't ruin the moment. No, he made he it better. You're not kidding. Just then Scott Steiner's music hits and out comes Medasia. She says that there's only one real man in WCW, Big Papa Pump. This prompts Scott Steiner, who turned heel at the pay-per-view last night, to come in and take out Booker and Stevie with a bat. Um, a lot happened here. Uh, they actually gave this plenty of time to breathe, and, and, and it didn't feel rushed. It was about 10 minutes. Um, this was a really good segment, but Nate, the crowd just really wasn't here for this. Um, it's kind of what we talked about in the last episode. While that Booker win was like a, a shocking moment that maybe grabbed people's attention, it really didn't help establish him as a top guy. Can you imagine how much bigger this would have felt if we had been spending the past month building up to this? Uh, maybe, you know, people getting his ear doubting that he could do it, really establish him as an underdog, maybe have him beat some, you know, big legends, Ric Flair while he was still around, DDP while he was still around. Instead, we just have this hot shot thing. And I mean, this guy was straight up mid-card last week and this audience was given nothing to expect this, and thus I, I, they just didn't feel as invested as I think they would have been had we actually, you know, given them any sort of anticipation. Yeah, the crowd was not behind Booker, and that's understandable because I'm sure a lot of these people were learning for the first time that Booker T was their world champion. And so, you know, that's no fault of Booker, no fault of the crowd. It's just the situation they were put in. But if I'm looking at this segment as a whole and for what it was intended to do, I really enjoyed it. It might have been one of my favorite parts of this week's episode. Uh, As somebody that has actually followed Harlem Heat all the way back to a global, I think it was Global Wrestling Federation in Texas, where they were known as the Ebony Experience, which is a beautiful name that I wish some tag team would bring back. it, it felt real, even though, again, this is a, a work of fiction. It felt real. Like, these were real emotions from Booker and from Stevie and LaVestia. And so I thought that part worked well. The part where I got confused, though, was with Steiner. Because yeah. not having watched, like, I, I didn't go back and watch Bash of the Beach before we did this review. And so I probably haven't seen that pay-per-view 
in maybe five or six years. It's, it's been a while since I sat down and watched that Bash of the Beat show. So I was like, wait a minute, Scott Steiner was on our side last week, and now he's attacking Booker. I, I didn't get it, uh, but even still, with that confusion, it didn't ruin what I thought was a, a pretty good segment and a pretty good promo from Booker, even though he was uh, speaking from the heart and not giving us a promo. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that uh, the real emotion uh, was nice up at the top. I did believe, you know, the moment with the mom and the real emotion with uh, Stevie Ray, and that was all good. <laughs> Um, the Goldberg, you're a mark for yourself and a mark for the business did stick out, especially because it seemed so separate from everything else happening. Yeah. Um, overall, I thought it was good, but then yes, when Scott Steiner shows up, it's fine. You know, it's the classic, like, you know, heel run in attack. Uh, but this will kind of just keep repeating over and over of just people showing up and interrupting, which is a convention of wrestling, which I love, but. I think maybe gets a little overused in this episode. Oh, there are some segments that uh, <laughs> are a conga line, more or less. Yes. Backstage. But I think overall, the first segment, it's good. Backstage, Booker tells Stevie to get Lavestia out of the building so he can take care of business. Pamela Paulshuk is with Jeff Jarrett. Jeff says he wasn't ready for Booker last night, and he wants his rematch tonight. Pamela tells the former champ that Ernest Miller has already booked Booker in a title defense tonight. Jarrett says this is a conspiracy, but then Scott Steiner runs in and attacks Jarrett from behind before pulling a Braun Strowman and tipping the interview set over. Shane Douglas comes out with his new valet, Tori Wilson, as he, <clears throat> as we are shown stills from his pay-per-view match where he beat Buff Bagwell. Shane says that Buff got his ass franchise last night, then tells the crowd to feast their eyes on Tori. Tori then cuts a promo on Billy Kidman's small dick. <laughs> Crowbar then comes out with Daphne for a match that I had really zero interest in. How can you give a fuck about Shane Douglas versus Crowbar? Franchise hits a running lariat, and Tony tells us that the audience... And Tony tells the audience that Nitro will be on Tuesday next week because TNT is running a miniseries. A pretty clear sign that this network is looking to get out of the wrestling business. <laughs> not just any miniseries. I mean, what it is could not be funnier. The critically acclaimed Nuremberg, as they said over and over again. <laughs> right. Uh, which, you know, which is uh, trials at the end of World War II that the Nazis uh, had to face. And it felt like. WCW may have been heading towards its own Nuremberg trials at some point. <laughs> so the announcers just have zero interest in this match as Shivani states that Booker will have his first title defense against Mike Awesome later tonight. Madden then asks, why the hell is he not facing Steiner? A valid question after the opening segment. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> the commentators check back in on the match when Daphne and Tori get into a cat fight at ringside. Back in the ring, Crowbar hits a slingshot guillotine leg drop for a two, followed by a moonsault for another two count. Douglas gets a running leg sweep, also for a two count. Shane then hits his new jawbreaker finish called the Franchiser for the win. After the match, Buff Bagwell attacks Douglas. Um, this is not a terribly worked match, guys, but I mean, how the fuck could you could you care about this at all? These are just two two characters that have no relationship to each other. Uh, working for a couple minutes. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, especially coming into it, you know, Tori Wilson takes a shot at Billy Kidman, but then, oh, that's not who's wrestling now. So, yeah. like, yeah. 
Yeah, Crowbar is a good worker. Like I've always liked him in ring, but when you have Crowbar, who's not the hottest character on the show right now, and you put him in there with somebody I care even less about, and that's this WCW 2000 version of Shane Douglas, it 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 felt like a very big come down. Like I think the theme of this show should have been, and and maybe what they were trying to go for, but they didn't quite accomplish, is you know this is a renewal. This is a seat's changed for the company. You know, we've got a new champion. Things are going to be different. And it felt outside of that first segment that things quickly went back to business as usual. And, and you know, this match is evidence of that. Pamela Paulshuk is now with Billy Kidman. Kidman tells Pamela that skanks like Tori Wilson are a dime a dozen and that franchise is getting his sloppy seconds. Kidman says that he is focused on his career right now. Jarrett then pushes Kidman out of the way and demands a title shot tonight. Kidman then attacks Jeff Jarrett. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a a beautiful running gag. (laughs) Yeah, the fatigue of the run-ins and the interruptions, which, I mean, that is a huge part of the fun of wrestling, that, you know, promos will get interrupted by an attack, but, you know, it's like... uh, You can't only have sugar. (laughs) Outside, Smooth gets out of the driver's side of a limousine carrying a gold record. Smooth then opens the back door of the limo and out comes three count in tuxes and Tank Abbott in a tux with shorts. Smooth hands Tank the gold record and the group heads into the building. So, Nate, I guess Smooth just handles all transportation for the entire roster now. Is he like, is he driving this limo back and forth like a shuttle between the venue and the airport? I had no problem with this. You know, we've, we've been led to believe up, to, up until this point that Smooth is exclusively the the valet, the assistant to Ernest Miller, the, you know, the, the Fonsworth Bentley to Ernest Miller's Puff Daddy. But I don't have a problem with him kind of, you know, going out and working for other people as well because the more Smooth we get on this show, the better. Like, I think Smooth is an underutilized character on this show, and, and you know, he brings a... Uh, a different type of energy uh, uh, to this program. Jeff Jarrett barges into the cat's office and demands a title shot. The cat says Jeff has no respect and he books him in a match against Billy Kidman. Three Count comes out in the arena with Tank Abbott and their gold record. They get in the ring where a ladder is already set up. Tank says that they're going to celebrate tonight by hanging their record above the ring so everyone can cherish it. You know, a totally logical thing and not at all contrived in pro wrestling plot device. (laughs) Evan Courageous climbs the ladder, but then the young dragons run down and push Courageous off the ladder. The dragons take out three count with, with the ladder, but then Tank knocks them all out. Out of nowhere, the great Muda runs in and spits the green mist into Tank's eyes. This was easily the biggest pop on the show from the crowd, and they start chanting Muda. Kaz then steals the gold record, and the dragons head to the back with Muda. Um, This was terribly paced. Everything was on top of itself. Uh, Hanging the record made no sense, but I honestly can't hate this. In fact, I I kind of loved it. (laughs) I would say there is a commentary... uh... Uh, failing a little bit because I don't know who it is, but they say uh, they're like, that's not valuable. You can buy it at any trophy shop. Who cares about this gold <laughs> record? And then there's a huge sequence where they're fighting over it and it's being stolen. It's like, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna have these, yeah, if you're gonna set up and you're gonna sell that this is valuable and should be stolen, I think just saying you can buy it at any trophy <laughs> shop kind of sort of defeats undermines it. that. Yeah. 
Uh, let's not bury the lead here, guys. We had the great Muda, arguably one of the most successful Japanese imports in terms of the uh, pro wrestling landscape ever. And we had him return in an angle which saw three count going up against the Young Dragons. And it, if that didn't tell you where Muda's role was going to be going forward, uh, <laughs> then, then you, weren't, you weren't reading the clues because I, like, I was excited. I did not know Muda was on this show. And to see him come out, there was like this weird mix, Evan. Like it, it, yeah. in one second, I was joyful. But then I had this realization of, oh, this is not going to end well. And so... My joy was quickly dissipated, but for this one segment, I might have to agree with Brian. Like, I, I enjoyed it for what it was, and, you know, seeing Muda back was just the icing on the cake. Yeah, I mean, well, hey, anything being hung in wrestling and anyone stealing it from a ladder is always fun to a certain extent. So I, I, I can't disagree too strongly. Well, I, I feel like, Nate, this is a be-careful-what-you-wish-for situation, because on the last episode, I was lamenting the fact that there's no storyline between these six-man tags that the Young Dragons and the Recount keep having, <laughs> and now I got one. You know, I really should have bit my tongue last <laughs> week. But no, it's like, you know, you and I, we do this thing sometimes where we'll, you know, two decades later, retroactively fix these things. Did we need to see Evan Cray just hang the record? Like, maybe we could have just come back from break and the record's already hanging. And the Young Dragons come down with a ladder and they take it down. I would have been okay with that. You know, people put jerseys in the rafters. I, I could have believed that, that it was already hanging there. Um, and I actually don't, you know, to kind of counteract what you're saying, I don't hate the great Muda being partnered with the Young Dragons if we're actually going to get serious about the Young Dragons and we're partnering them with this, you know, legendary Japanese performer. And if he's like a, uh, uh, a tutor to them or something like that. But, uh, but Nate, as we'll see later in this episode, uh, they don't even hold on to that for 20 minutes. Yeah, because if, if, if this is, is to be taken as real, if I'm Muda, my first question is, who's the white guy? Like why? Why? Why is Jamie Noble hanging around with you guys under a mask? Like, like is that is that what we're all about? <laughs> it's Jamie's son. Come on, man. You got to got to show some respect. <laughs> my bad. My bad. So we then get another fucking Pamela interview. Uh, this time she's with uh, Positively Canyon. Canyon is pissed because he pinned Booker an hour before he won the world title and should get a shot. Valid point from from Canyon. He then promises to make Ernest Miller feel the bang. Outside, Heel Goldberg is shown arriving for work. Next up is Billy Kidman versus Jeff Jarrett in a battle of the last two dudes Hulk Hogan refused to put over. Kidman gets head scissored before taking a really impressive bump to the floor off a hip toss over the ropes. I've never seen that before. It looked pretty cool. These two then brawl around the ring for a bit, and Jeff has the heat when they head back in. Jarrett sucks chance as Kidman fires back with a standing dropkick. Kidman gets a top rope crossbody, but Jarrett rolls through for a two count. Kidman then clotheslines Jarrett to the floor. Tori Wilson then comes down to the ring. Kidman tells her to go to the back, but Tori tries to slap him. He blocks the slap, uh, but then down runs the franchise. With Billy distracted by Shane Douglas, Tori low blows Kidman. Douglas then DDTs Kidman on the floor, tosses him back in the ring. Jarrett pins Kidman, but he actually kicks out at two. Kidman then reverses a suplex into a roll-up, but it's only good for a two. Kidman goes for the bulldog, but Jarrett reverses that into the stroke for a three count. Um, I got. I think these two actually had really good chemistry. They'd never had a match together. I don't think they ever had another match together uh, after this. 
But I didn't mind this. I actually would have uh, been okay with it getting a, a little bit more time. Uh, my one major objection would be uh, I don't see why we got to give Jeff Jarrett this win here, especially considering he's going to win in the main event. Couldn't we have given something like kind of actually impressive to Billy Kidman to maybe, uh, you know, heat him up a little bit? Yeah, I, I really like this match. Like, I, I know, you know, we, we've had our Jeff Jarrett conversation uh, many times on this program, Brian, but I thought that these two guys really clicked. And it almost made me wish that we had never gotten into that whole Hogan-Kidman beef in the first place because if you wanted to have Billy Kidman elevated, Hulk Hogan's not the guy to do that. Like, the matches aren't going to be great, and Hulk Hogan or Terry Bollea or Hollywood, whichever version of that man shows up that week, he might not want to play ball. Whereas with Jeff Jarrett, yeah, he's not the biggest star like Hulk Hogan, but he's somebody that is a pro wrestler through and through. And I think, you know, the combination of those two would have made for a much better feud that ultimately would have benefited Billy Kidman. Yeah, I would say even just like, even if they had just done a one-off, like given Billy Kidman a shot against Jeff Jarrett, for the world title on TV one of these past weeks. Uh, it, it is such yeah. a shame that, you know, Billy Kidman is still such a great worker, but for those two months feuding with Hogan, he had to completely betray his character, look totally weak, and all of it's dropped now. Like, that's just completely gone. We're not doing any of that. Uh, Evan, what did you think of this match? I thought it was a good match. Uh, I thought it was, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I feel like there's less to talk about when you like something. Uh, I do think that uh, Tori's involvement and that whole thing, tracking a little confused because she you know they're i guess they're just a spurred angry bad relationship but it, it seems like she shouldn't even care about billy at this point if she you know she's moved on but that that's nitpicking i thought that uh, it was a good match and i i enjoyed it maybe yeah maybe one of my favorite matches maybe the favorite match of the whole show yeah, I would say it's probably number two for me uh you know mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get to number one a little bit later but but not not a bad uh not a bad match Backstage, Scott Steiner is then shown attacking Canyon. Elsewhere, Mike Awesome is shown hitting on Nitro Girl Beef. This is Rhonda Singh. Apparently, this is a storyline that we've been uh, unfortunately missing over on Thunder. <laughs> yes, uh, this is the beginning of the end of Mike yeah. Awesome's push. Uh, he's been a terrifying killer for months, and that's all about to end. The cat then comes by with the U.S. title. Last night, Miller stripped Scott Steiner of the belt, and now he wants to award it to Awesome. Awesome says no thanks because he wants to earn his belts the right way. It's one of those totally fucking stupid 360 Vince Russo character changes where the guy was a heel, now he's a babyface, so everything about him is completely different. Nate, last week this guy sent three WCW crew members to the hospital unprovoked, and this week he won't accept a title without winning at fair and square. And I'm just now learning that Mike Awesome was a babyface on this show. He's a babyface now, <laughs> by the way, yeah. <laughs> because, I, you know, again, going off of what we had seen last week, and now, you know, the, the match that he's going to be in tonight with Booker, like nothing about that leads me to believe that Mike Awesome is the babyface in this, and, until you just brought that up. Like, to me, I didn't read the scene as Mike Awesome being virtuous. I read it as him being greedy uh, and, and being incompetent, if you will, because if – this guy is offering you a title on a silver platter and we're to believe that titles equal money. Uh, you got to go ahead and get that check, Mike Awesome, especially if they're turning you into the fat chick thriller. So uh, not not the wisest financial move on the part of one Mike Awesome. It's also interesting, uh, you know, talking about what we talked about, the whole Hogan and the lying down for the title, that you're having someone give away a title and not 
making more out of mm. the not just wanting a title. Um, if that happened, you know, the night before, the weekend before. Yeah, you think um, they maybe have the, the foresight to not do the stripping the do, title angle right. on the same night they're doing this other thing. Yeah. Awesome then gets his chance to earn a belt the right way against Booker T for the world title. These two begin with a lockup and the crowd chants Booker T. Booker gets the 10 punches in the corner, but Awesome takes, takes him out with a running lariat. An ECW chant breaks out as Awesome works over Booker with the chair on the outside, no DQ is called. On commentary, Hudson reminds us that Awesome legitimately almost broke Booker's neck in one of his first WCW matches, a great plot point that probably should have been mentioned an hour ago when this match was announced. <laughs> Back in the ring, Awesome hits a frog splash, but it's only good for a two. Awesome then pulls a table out from under the ring and sets it up on the floor. Awesome goes to powerbomb Booker out of the ring through the table, but Booker reverses it and knocks Awesome through the table. Awesome brings himself back in the ring, and Booker gets the axe kick and a Harlem sidekick, but Awesome kicks out. Booker then goes up top for a missile drop kick. Again, just good enough for a two. Booker then gets the bookend for the win. Scott Steiner then runs in and puts Booker in a Steiner recliner. Awesome pulls Steiner off, and Scott powders to the back. This is where we're showing that Mike Awesome is, is maybe a bit of a babyface now. Uh, I gotta say, I really, really love this match. Uh, it's clear that both guys are still invested. The chemistry was there. And everything just clicked for a really fun TV match. The only thing I, I mean, I would have loved to have seen Awesome cut a promo. I would have loved to have seen them maybe have a little bit of interactions at the beginning of the show. Uh, but in terms of this, I thought this was a, a really solid match. Uh, you said you loved this match. I would say that my my relationship with this particular match, guys, is, is kind of like my relationship with carbs. Like, uh, I enjoy them. But I know ultimately that, that I could be putting something better into my body. And I enjoyed this match. You know, Booker and Mike Awesome both were out there working hard. And it's good to see some of these younger dudes get a shot in this company. But, and I'd be interested to hear Evan's thought on this, it feels like you could have made this a bigger deal. This is this guy's first title defense. We started the show with him. Why didn't we end the show? with Booker yes, and, and yeah. have vignettes and <laughs> interviews during the night of people hyping up this title match. And, and it felt like this was a good idea, but nobody, you know, kind of gave it a second read over and said, well, instead of putting it in the middle of the show, why not, you know, make this the main event? Yes. I think that definitely when this was happening, I had to check, you know, how far I was into the episode. And I was like, this feels like the main event. Yeah. What are they going to do after this? It's a title shot. I thought it was a good match. And then the face turn, I actually did like the moment of Mike, you know, it's always, it's like a classic wrestling move, two guys who are fighting, and then one of them after the match, you know, goes to the defense of the guy who beat him. And I did like that moment, but I think it would have worked better as a face turn if he had not already done a noble thing of saying that he wanted to earn the title. Uh, you know, if he had been a heel up until this point, but then he comes to his defense, I think that would have been a better moment. Uh, but I mean, overall, I did think it was again, one of the high points of the match, but yeah, I don't have the show rather. Um, but I don't know why this wasn't the end and I don't know yeah. why it wasn't built up a little bit better. It would have made total sense if instead of Scott Steiner running out the way he did in that opening segment, if instead they were interrupted by Chris Canyon and he's like, what, what, what the fuck guys, I beat you an hour before you won the world title. This is ridiculous. I can beat you. And you almost like have this like... 
So these seeds of doubt, you know, like can Booker, you know, was did he win on a fluke or is he the real deal? And then you build up to him versus Canyon in the main event. And then you do your number one contenders match in the middle of the show. Um, and maybe you put Billy Kidman into that four way because clearly someone has to be there to take the pin and Billy can be there. But he gets the rub by being in there with four of the top guys. To me, that would make more sense rather than halfway through the show. Here's this Mike Awesome match that we've never teased. And I mean, the fact that Mike Awesome had, you know, broke almost broke this guy's neck earlier. You can use that to actually build up maybe next week's big TV match. But yeah, just I I, I agree. I'm just saying that with what we got, I liked what we had, but they definitely could have done something better, um, especially with the fact that they had Canyon beat the guy an hour before he won the title. Yeah, and it, yeah. It, it, again. <laughs> undercuts Booker a bit because this could have been, you know, to uh, Evan's point, you know, that that face turn that Mike Awesome had at the end of the, at the end of the match, that would have been an interesting way to, to close out the show. Like what what's Mike Awesome's angle here? Like is is he, you know, really a changed man or is he just doing this to play games with Booker? You know, I got to tune in next Tuesday uh to to find out what, you know, what what's going on here. Uh but instead you get a really good match that is ultimately forgettable by the time you end the show because so much comes after this. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If, if, again, because Booker hasn't been built up as a world champion, uh, a week ago this match could have happened at the exact same slot on the card with the exact same guys for the U.S. title, and nothing would have been different. Yeah. In the back, the cat emerges from his office as he says that Steiner has interfered in his last match. Back from the break, the cat is in the ring saying that he's tired of Steiner running his crazy ass all around the building. He then tells Big Papa Pump to get his ass out here. Steiner comes out and tells the cat that if the cat doesn't get him a world title shot, he's going to shove Miller's microphone up his ass. The cat says he's going to beat his ass himself. The cat then attacks Scott, but Steiner quickly takes care of him and chokes him out. Booker then runs down for the save. This brings out Canyon to attack Booker. This then causes Jarrett to come out. Booker clears the ring and the cat gets on the mic. The cat announces that Canyon, Jarrett, and Steiner will have a three-way number one contenders match tonight. Goldberg's music then hits and out comes heel Goldberg to a babyface reaction. Goldberg demands that it become a four-way dance. Miller agrees and makes it a four-way dance. Goldberg, the biggest heel in the company, then thanks the cat. He's turned his back on the fans, but he has not forgotten his manners. Um, this sucked. All of this sucked. Uh, this made no sense. <laughs> it's very, this is very bad. <laughs> everyone on top of everyone else. Um, I like the idea that Booker, he's this new champ. He's the underdog. He's got a target on his back. Everyone wants a piece of him. But there had to be a more logical, more sensible, <laughs> smoother way to connect all these dots than this shit. Yeah, I think this was a real mess. And also, can you guys explain to me the cat a little bit? Because this, I well, Ernest the Cat Miller is, uh, you know, <laughs> he is one of the 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 most storied performers in WCW history, even to the point of bringing James Brown out at, at one of their pay per view events, uh, which was, of course, unadvertised in advance by the company. Uh, <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> Because that's a WCW thing to do. But mm-hmm. at this time, uh, you know, we had gone through the reboot with Bischoff and Russo coming back and the New Bloods versus the Millionaires Club storyline. And that just kind of faded away. And Ernest Miller is in charge. I, I don't know why. And maybe Brian has a better idea about this. Why didn't Russo come back in charge in, in, instead of Ernest Miller here still being the man uh, running the show? I'm guessing because Russo maybe didn't want to become an on-screen character again yet, because he was on the pay-per-view the night before, which is the first time he'd yeah. been seen for a while, and he did 
referenced the fact that he had you know left TV a couple weeks ago. Now, I, I mean, I hear what you're saying, Nate. I don't know why you're asking for Russo back. I, I, I thought you'd be happy that he wasn't on the show. He will be back, <laughs> and, I think, in like two weeks or so. He's not gone forever. But uh, for whatever reason, he's decided to not come back on TV yet. Now, is uh, or Ernest or Cat or... Uh, is he wrestling, like, is he doing like Vince McMahon where occasionally he's like doing a match still, or is he purely a commissioner at this I, point? He'll wrestle sometimes. He'll wrestle okay. sometimes. Because yeah. I also thought that was, you know, you have like Scott Steiner who you're like building up so much. Like he's a monster. He's like Braun Strowman and like everyone is just like scared of him and he's just destroying everyone. And then the one guy is kind of this commissioner suit guy is the one who just punches him in the face. It just seems, you know, I don't know. It seemed like such a crazy thing that he's the one who stands up to him. So that was kind of a mess. And yes, it'd be like if Shane McMahon sucker punched Braun Strowman and got the best of him. It's essentially what yeah. it would be. <laughs> and uh, the, the Steiner heel turn here kind of, it, it, it comes out of nowhere. Uh, I guess you could say, Brian, particularly not having watched Bash at the Beach in a long time. But well, let's cut you off for a second. But it's also one of those weird things where it is a Russo thing where because one person turns, it then forces other people to turn without them doing anything. So, the, so yes. Ernest Miller is now a babyface. Mike Awesome is now a babyface because Scott Steiner turned. Not because they did anything, but just by the transitive properties, the, the, the butterfly effect, those guys are now uh, babyfaces. Yeah, in storyline, but not how the crowd perceives him because Scott Steiner, to me, was still getting babyface reactions on this show uh, at, at certain points. And so, again, going back to Spider-Man 3, that, that wonderful classic, this had one of the issues that that movie did, and, and that was, you know, too many villains. And it felt like this particular scene in general, uh, this segment, we had motivations all over the place that didn't kind of line up and, and you've got, you know, alliances and, and you know, rivalries that, that I don't think are explained to the audience. Like Goldberg and Steiner are both heels, but, and, and he, all heels I, don't have you, to have the same alliances, but it feels like there's no rhyme or reason to who is teaming with who. Yeah. Uh, it's also news to me that this is, Goldberg is supposed to be a heel at this point because <laughs> I did not feel like that was how the crowd was reacting. It didn't seem like how he was behaving. And you said it, but I mean, the line when he comes out and he says, how about we make this a four-way dance? And then the cat just says, yeah. it's almost like he says the line wrong because he's like, it's he's like, no, 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 I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll make it a four-way dance. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's what he asked for. Like, it's very, it's very weird. I just, um, he just gives him what he wants in exactly the same way he worded it. And then Goldberg like, takes the time to say, thank you, before leaving. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. No need to run in. We are then shown highlights from Bash of the Beach where Big Vito retained his hardcore title against surprise opponent Norman Smiley and Ralphus. Backstage, Norman Smiley is running Ralphus through the paces. He's running the stairs, lifting weights, and attempting push-ups. Norman and Ralphus then come out into the arena and challenge Big Vito to a rematch for the hardcore title tonight. Big Vito comes out and attacks Smiley with his kendo sticks and takes Smiley to the backstage area. They do all the generic backstage brawl shit where they just toss each other on every surface they pass. Smiley sprays Vito with a fire extinguisher and they brawl back down the aisle. Back in the ring, Ralphus is hiding under a table. Vito hits Smiley with a mafia kick, and Madden demands that it is called an Italian-American kick instead. 
Back in the ring, Vito notices Ralph is under the table and goes to work on him. Vito then puts a road cone between Ralph's legs and hits it with a kendo stick, a variation on the injury that Johnny the Bull suffered last week. Vito then follows up with a splash to Ralphus through the table. Smiley runs in with a chair and hits Vito. Smiley celebrates with a big wiggle uh, without seeing that Vito has fallen on top of Ralphus for a three count. Guys, this really, really fucking sucked. Uh, we had a we had a pretty good run of 45 minutes there. Shit's getting worse. Um <laughs> Nate, I thought we'd move past these comedy fucking hardcore matches, but Russo is back, and here we fucking go. Well, that's the key. Russo is back. So he, up to this point, uh, has only seemed to be able to write one type of hardcore match, and that's one that is a spot fest with very little with very little gravity, with, with very little grounding, with, with very little realism to it and and to me the best hardcore matches even though i'm not particularly a fan of that style are the ones that feel more real you know you you look at ecw back in the day and and yeah they had comedy spots here and there they had you know new jack playing a guitar and hitting somebody with the guitar or he somebody would throw him a nintendo entertainment system and he'd hit him with the console and joey styles would be like now you're playing with power and, and they're <laughs> like okay funny funny but the, 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 the at the end of the day the match was still serious with this and this is no disrespect to ralphus who did way more than anybody should have expected him to on this show ralphus and norman smiley are characters that are one note and it's a shame because norman smiley's a hell of a wrestler but this is the spot they had him in. And so, yeah, Russo is just not good at this. This title, to me, is something, and, and it's, it's not a slam on Big Vito. But honestly, Evan, I, th- I think they could have done away with this title just because Russo hadn't, to me, shown the ability to book a hardcore title credibly. Yeah, I hated this. Uh, <laughs> I think that, uh, well, also, I don't know if, did you skip over uh, Ralphus's, maybe this is not new to this episode, but his t-shirt, the Just Say No. Yeah, Just Say No pointing to, to yeah. pointing to his, his, uh, his butt crack. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't like. <laughs> that, that, that was Ralphus's Austin 316 shirt. Like, that, <laughs> right. that's his trademark. I mean, the two-on-one match of it all, I don't even like. I mean, uh, and just everything's a mess. And then it seems like the finish confusing as it is they like do because he just gets up at some point and like it's a two count does he even kick out uh the whole thing and then the hit on the chair after that to fall in it was just really a mess uh so it wasn't for me (laughs) i don't think it was for anybody uh the cat is walking backstage when the stereotypical asian flute music begins playing the young dragons in ambush miller who disposes of them single-handedly in comedic fashion what an excellent follow-up to that great mood of return from earlier in the show. What the fuck were we thinking here, guys? Like, we really needed this 45-second uh, segment in the back. We couldn't have just, you know, gotten Ernest Miller back to his uh, his uh, fucking office. This, this had no bearing on anything and was only here to ruin whatever you had achieved <laughs> earlier with the Young Dragons. <sighs> yeah, this was... Uh, this was more comedy that I didn't need. And... These characters did not need that comedy because, like you said, you know they they set up something big by bringing Muda back and aligning him with the Young Dragons, and then for Ernest Miller to turn this into a Keystone Cops routine backstage at their expense, like it it 
it it was unnecessary and that time could have been used for something better question mark <laughs> i mean even calling a comedy i think is generous uh, <laughs> i don't i don't know about this <laughs> speaking okay so the comedy keeps on coming uh we then go to booker t's current wife paisley as she is looking for someone to iron the artist's shirt before his match Euro Trash House music then begins playing when she encounters a flamboyant costumer dressed in head-to-toe pink lame and fuzzy pink slippers. This man introduces himself as the Kiwi, and Paisley instantly falls in love with him. <laughs> yes, this is the debut of uh, Alan Funk's Kiwi gimmick that is offensive both because of its uh, homophobia and blatant ripoff of uh, the identical Chris Kattan mango character <laughs> from SNL. They have literally changed nothing. They have done nothing. They have just given it the name of a different exotic fruit. What the fuck happened to this episode, guys? I'm not crazy. The first 45 minutes were not terrible. Then Booker <laughs> had his match with Mike Awesome, and suddenly we're in shitsville. By this point, give me Shane Douglas and, the, and Crowbar again because we have taken a hard left turn. This show fucking sucks now. <laughs> yeah it's really uh it's really bad um and yes i was i thought that uh i wrote down like starting at life chris Catan, but i guess that was not a interesting or good observation to make <laughs> the obvious very clear that <laughs> that's exactly what it is he even calls himself the kiwi yep uh like chris yeah Catan. yeah, yeah. and i remember you know this is this might be a a a, a shameful revelation on my point, but you know this is a safe space up here on the satellite of hate. Uh, <laughs> I I actually got a kick out of the character back then. Oh man! Uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously looking at it with 2018 eyes, like it's not great, and there's there's very little redeemable about this character at all. But I like the pairing with him and Paisley for, for whatever reason. I thought they they played well against each other, even if the material wasn't great. Oh, even here I can tell they're going to maybe be better suited than her and the artist, which just, you know, because uh, Prince Ikea has no charisma uh, at all. Uh, whereas uh, Alan Funk at least um, seems to be committing to something uh, uh, that he's doing here. <laughs> Shivani then plugs the replay of Bash of the Beach by saying there are things that we legally cannot talk about, and the only way that you can know about it is to watch the replay. Uh, we discussed earlier what's going on here. Um, they legitimately will not be able to discuss this on the air uh, <laughs> starting next week. Well, it, let, me, let me ask you something real quick, Brian, because uh, you, know, you explained the situation, but would there have been a possibility that Hogan could have gotten the replays pulled due to the injunction? Um, he maybe could have, but I don't think he was, cause I, you can't just throw an injunction in overnight. And I also don't think he had made that decision till the end of this week. Uh, like okay. probably at this point, I, if I did guess, uh, Hogan probably hadn't even seen the promo that Russo cut yet because, uh, he left the building, uh, cause the way they shot the angle, he left with the title and left the building. Didn't hear yeah. Russo's promo until a couple days later. So at this point, I think they probably assumed everything was still, you know, fine and dandy. We're, we're going to do our storyline as we originally agreed. And then that would not be the case, uh, by the end of the week. I will say though, for, for anybody that has not 
watch that promo from Bash of the Beach. Watch it because it it's uh it's Vince Russo, but it 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 might be my favorite Vince Russo ever. He's just like, I'm here for the guys in the back, bro. Like the Booker T <laughs> and the Jeff Jarrett's have been held down by this Hollywood Hogan bullshit, brother. Like I. I I, I, I'm not a fan of Vince Russo, but I like that promo. Yeah, apparently when he called him a bald son of a bitch, that that that's the point that, that crossed the line yes. for, for Booker. <laughs> Nobody calls me bald, brother. We then cut to Lenny Lane at ringside holding a use me sign. Madden explains that Lenny is still under contract, but he isn't being used on TV and he deserves a shot. Uh, do you guys think that he bought these front row seats or did he get them comped because he's an employee? <laughs> I imagine he had to buy them if he's not if they're not using him. You know? It's yeah, hard those, to get those, comp- some, those some primo seats too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lance Storm comes out to a slew of USA chants. Uh, Storm is now doing a foreign heel gimmick. No, he did not turn on Thunder. He was not on the pay per view. He's just a heel now, and there is no explanation of when this occurred. I do not dance. I do not sing. All I do is wrestle. Being Canadian is that's why I do that the best. So if you could all rise for the playing of the Canadian National Anthem. Sit down, Madden. The crowd boos this and the announcers can't decide whether or not to show respect to him. The artist then comes out with Paisley, who joins the commentary team. Storm and the artist begin wrestling, but no one told the announcers who just want to talk about Kiwi the entire time. The crowd has zero interest because this is a heel versus heel match. The artist gets a release suplex and then goes to the top rope, but Lance Storm captures him with a Northern Lights suplex for a two. The crowd chants boring as Storm hits a sit-out powerbomb for a two. Lance Storm then gets his rolling Boston Crab and the artist submits. I think Storm looked good here. Uh, the artist did not. The announcers didn't pay any attention. Uh, this was just one segment where the execution really killed it for me. Uh, of everything you could have done with this time, what just what a fucking waste. <laughs> I was so shocked at how mad people were at the Canadian National Anthem being played. <laughs> it was, I mean, some of the reactions were, like, insane. Um and uh, it's interesting to hear that this hadn't really been built up. That that just is how people reacted when told that they had to stand uh, for another anthem. Stand for a Canadian national anthem. <laughs> oh man, I, I am obviously Brian Man, uh, a, a staunch supporter of the artist formerly known as Prince Ikea. So I, I will not partake in your slandering of this great <laughs> national treasure. Uh, but yeah, this this was just a match. Lance Storm is out here doing his best to to make this look good. But yeah, without any context and without any setup for this heel version of Lance Storm, again, it goes back to the alignment issue that we've been talking about this whole episode. Like, it seemed like they hit a reset button, but they didn't tell the audience that we've hit a reset button. And so now we're left trying to play catch up. Like, why is Scott Steiner doing the things that he's doing? Why is Mike Awesome doing the things that he's doing? Why is Lance Storm out here demanding that we stand for the Canadian National Anthem? None of this has been explained. And so in lieu of that, you know, the audience is just, you know, left scratching their heads, which is, you know, the one th- like you, you want the audience to either love or hate what you're doing. And the indifference to me is, is, is a killer. 
Uh, Evan, what did you think of the uh, the the Prince ripoff gimmick? Was this the first time you were seeing Prince Ikea? Yeah, this was the first time, and I, I kind of I didn't mind it. Um, I think you know. I think thank you, like, Evan. Thank you. <laughs> a little bit of Prince nostalgia, you know. I think uh, I was like, and I I did kind of find fun how blatant the ripoffs between this and um, the Mango. Yeah, uh, ripoff where I was just kind of enjoying just, you know, how no cleverness is just very clear what they're ripping <laughs> off. Uh, I, I did kind of like that. Uh, do honest. yourself a favor, Evan. I'm going to give you a, a gift, a parting gift from this program. Uh-huh. Once, once we get through today, go online and look up the Prince Ikea theme song because the one they use on this program isn't his official theme song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the Jimmy Hart version of Purple Rain, which is beautiful oh that that sounds great <laughs> outside vampiro pulls up to the building with a hearse and reveals a coffin in the back the filthy animals then come out to watch new tag champs chronic defend their titles against mia who won a shot at the belts last week chronic enters to a pretty nice pop uh you know imagine that you book talent strong and let them win matches and the crowd actually reacts to them so this match starts with brian adams and general erection but the announcers are too busy arguing with Hoovy on commentary Adams hits a full Nelson slam on Rection as Ray boos the match and says these guys are working in slow motion. Ray and Hoovy thankfully get off commentary so they can interfere in the match instead. The filthy animals get on the apron when Jindrak and O'Hare emerge from the crowd and chase off the animals. This gets zero reaction because it's done so quickly that the camera never even gets a close-up of it for the live audience. Chronic then hits the high times, but Rection makes the save. Rection is then knocked out of the ring, and Chronic hits an extremely botched version of whatever their new double-team finish is for the win. The perfect event then runs in and attacks Chronic, sending them to the floor with the Lex Flexors. The MIA then attacks the perfect event, so I have zero idea who the fuck I'm supposed to give any care about at the end of all of this. It's just guy on top of guy on top of guy. The announcers even commented every team got involved. Vince Russo is back, and he is making up for lost time. Just another jam-packed segment that was just totally useless in the end. Just let Chronic win the match. That's fine enough. This was a lot, especially, uh, you know, not being too familiar with the teams coming into this. Uh, My head was spinning by the end of this. And it continues the the theme of this show going off the rails after that Booker-Mike Awesome match. And this, you know, reminded me of an episode of the Boondocks cartoon where... Uh, granddad was fighting stink meaner uh, and, and in the middle of it, Huey Freeman just, you know, freezes the action. And he's like, you know, we could all be reading the book right now. And then that's how I felt during this tag team match. Like, you know what? I could be reading a book or doing my taxes or finding some other doing, doing yard work, finding some other use of my time that would be more productive than watching these meaningless tag teams fight over this belt that, unfortunately doesn't have a whole lot of value right now i mean that's the thing perfect event has really kind of squandered these belts for a while they didn't do anything with them they really lowered them and it's just let chronic build these things back up for a while just let him have a win against mia and just you know just keep the the, the segment simple backstage vampiro is shown with his coffin as we go to commercial after the break, Vampiro comes to the ring as Shivani gives a shout-out to Bam Bam Bigelow, who this past weekend saved some kids from a brush fire and got second-degree burns over 40% of his body as a result. A, a really heartwarming story that I'm glad they, they called attention to, but keep that in your mind for the end of this segment. 
Vampiro goes full Bray Wyatt by cutting a promo that made no sense and received zero reaction from the crowd. Vampiro then taps on the coffin at ringside and the demon emerges from it. Vampiro reveals that the demon has joined his dark carnival and Vampiro now controls his soul. Asia comes out and tries to talk sense into her fiancé, Dale Torborg, but Vampiro tells the demon to choke her out. The demon obliges and begins choking this woman in the middle of the ring. The lights flicker and a mystery figure comes to the ring with a ski mask as Sting's music plays. The mystery man attacks Demon and Vampiro with Stinger splashes and baseball shots as the announcers proclaim, Sting is back. The announcers wonder what Sting must look like under that mask, having been burned alive by Vampiro two months ago. Yes, the segment that began with the announcers praising Bam Bam Bigelow for selflessly risking his life to <laughs> save children and being burned as a result ended with them playing Boogeyman with a burn victim. They couldn't have mentioned the Bam Bam story in any other fucking segment. They had to say it here. I honestly have a hard time figuring out what the worst part of this segment was. Every second was in terrible taste. The Vampiro promo didn't make sense. Dale choking out his fiancée, this fake sting, the burn thing. Nate, do you remember at the beginning of the year when Vampiro was just like a really hot, edgy baby face who was like rising up the card? Yes, before we got, you know, him lighting Sting on fire, and now we're in this thing with the Kiss Demon. Yeah, this... This hadn't been a good run for Vamp. Yeah, I was, uh, I mean, there was a lot. Uh, I don't, I am trying to remember. I, like, kind of knew Vampiro a little bit, but, uh, you know, I hadn't spent too much time with him, and this was quite the introduction. Uh, very kind of <laughs> confusing. <laughs> a whole lot of stuff coming at you. Uh, so a couple days ago, I actually watched a Nitro from the from just a year before this. It's really depressing to see where we're at. If you if we just think back to where we were at the beginning of this year, to where this company is now, it's even sadder. But knowing that this company has less than a year left, Sting is still one of the biggest stars in this industry, yeah. and this is what we're going to be using him for. How useful would just a month-long Sting versus Billy Kidman feud be? Or Sting versus Booker? Like that, like that's, yeah. you know, if you did what they would later do in TNA with the AJ Sting, you know, passing the torch sort of a thing. But nope, he's got face paint, and wouldn't you know this other guy's got face paint, so we're going to do spooky <laughs> shit and set each other on fire. Yeah, to me, Sting and Booker is something that would have been effective in getting Booker T over to the crowd, because as monumental as him winning the title over Jarrett was Booker was viewed as a mid-carder and Jeff Jarrett was at best a weak and ineffective champion. Um, and so, yeah, I think there, there would have been much greater use for that man called Sting in, in helping build up Booker or Kidman or even Vampiro without all of this extra stuff around it. You know, we why did we have to go to this guy burning Sting? Like, that feels like on paper again where where are vince russo's editors because on paper that might sound like a cool idea but then you know when we look for the storylines we have planned after that we're stuck with this moment of this guy burning a dude on national tv and now we have to go from that to his next progression and so yeah i think there's a lot of good talent in this company which which might be the saddest thing of all there's a lot of good talent here still but the guy in charge does not have the the sense 
to put them in the best position to succeed. And, and that's, that, to me, was kind of the saddest thing when you look at back at Sting or Vampiro or some of the other people on the show. Main event time, it is our four-way number one contenders match. The announcers explain that it will be a four corners tag team match with the man getting the pin getting the title shot. So there will only be two men in the ring at a time. Uh, you know, the way that four-way matches never are. Uh, I was going to ask if this was a WCW thing that had ever been done before or if it was the way it was routinely done. This is the first time I've ever seen a four-way match being done this way. The audience is obviously confused since these rules were never explained to them. The crowd chants right. Goldberg, showing zero interest in booing the company's top heel. Steiner and Canyon begin the match with Steiner chopping Canyon in the corner, followed by a lariat and a gorilla press drop. Steiner attempts the Steiner recliner, but Goldberg breaks it up with a kick to Steiner's head. Canyon gets a snap powerbomb on Steiner, but Goldberg breaks up the pin again. Canyon calls for the Canyon Cutter, but Jarrett tags himself in. Canyon then tags Steiner, so now it's Canyon and Jarrett. The crowd is getting bored and confused, wondering why Goldberg isn't in the ring. Canyon hits the cutter on Jarrett, but doesn't notice Goldberg tagging himself in. Goldberg then spear and jackhammers Canyon to the biggest pop of the entire night. Steiner breaks up the pin, leading to Steiner and Goldberg facing off, and the crowd just goes crazy for this. Goldberg and Steiner then brawl to the outside. Meanwhile, Jarrett steals the pin by pinning Canyon. Security separates Goldberg and Steiner as we are given the grim promise of another Jeff Jarrett main event at the pay-per-view. Even with these crazy rules, doesn't it, it feels like a legal man is not pinned? Because it's a- <laughs> Yeah, Jarrett was not the legal man. So that so they do this whole stupid thing and then don't even follow the rules of it. I mean, there's a way to just call this a four-way. I guess I, all I could feel is like, what, did they not have enough time to like, actually lay out a four-way match? And so this is just what they did oh, instead. Oh, maybe that's it. I mean, this was this was awful. This was really bad. And not only the the, the this decision to make this the, the guy to go against Booker. I mean, I get that. I mean, yeah, he lost the belt. I mean, but at the same time, like, Jarrett's a paper champion, and beating Jarrett again is not necessarily what Booker needs to be set up a- as a as a credible threat. Yeah, and also, you know, he so he got it from him. You don't need um, a champion like that. Uh, I mean, you can just... Uh, he could have just had a rematch. Why do you have to go through all of these people coming <laughs> for it? You know, the a rematch is a perfectly normal function. There was just so much that was bad about this. And I was very confused. And I went back, actually, and watched. And I said, wait, did they explain that this was how it was going to be? Did I mishear it at the beginning? <laughs> and then I was wondering if this was a normal convention in WCW, that this is how four-way matches were done. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a real mess. And, again, baffling to me to hear you guys say that Goldberg was supposed to be a heel yeah. Because he's being cheered like a face, he's being booked like a face with having, you know, the big spear and the jackhammer and, you know, all of that. It does not feel, and he's going up against who's been the big heel of the show, Scott Steiner, and you know, interfering. I mean, it's just a real mess. And certainly a deflating, as far as what I'm coming towards next, Jeff Jarrett, Booker T., not particularly exciting <laughs> based on everything I've seen uh, in these past two hours or whatever. Uh, that's not the match. You know, certainly, honestly, you know, based on only watching this thing, I feel like Scott Steiner Booker T is something that you're kind yep. of 
maybe thinking, oh, that'll be interesting. How is he going to do against this monster who's, you know, attacking everyone? Um, so pretty uh, ends with a whimper, not a bang, I would say. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point, because if your goal is to get me invested in the next feud for Booker T, what you just did was put Jeff Jarrett, who, like I said, is a perfectly fine wrestler, but you put him in there with at least two guys that you would rather see Booker go up against than Jeff Jarrett. Yes. So as an as an audience member, I'm like, why would I want to see Booker and Jarrett again when I could get Booker Goldberg or Booker Steiner? Uh, and we've already established, you know, the the heat between Booker and Steiner on this show with him interrupting the opening segment. So yeah, it 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 felt unnecessary, and it also felt like again, I would have rather seen them switch this match with the Booker Mike Awesome match from earlier. So that way, you know, then we can get maybe Jeff Jarrett running out at the end of the show. And it makes mm-hmm. sense because now we've got a, a title match set up for the future. Whereas now it's like you're leaving, you're ending the show on a flat note. Yeah. This, um, I guess the way to kind of summarize this whole, this show was one step forward, two steps back. Uh, every time they made one good decision, they would just, you know, shit all over it. Like, Oh, Hey, we've got chronic. We're going to give them a nice win over MIA, but then we're going to throw all this other shit on top of there. It's a shame because you could feel them making some of the right moves. It's a new day, but it's still Vince Russo. So even if he has a couple good ideas, there's going to be just a a torrent of terrible ones uh, that really make it difficult to concentrate on, on, on the right ones. And even though this is the beginning of this new Booker T reign, I'm not at all excited about where we're headed next because you nailed it. Uh, Nate, you nailed it. There's at least two other guys in that match I'd rather see him against, and maybe honestly, <laughs> Canyon. I'd rather see him against Canyon yeah. uh, than 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 Jared. Yeah. Um, I don't see why you don't just do him and Goldberg at the pay per view. I mean, spoiler, I, they they do it. They do him and Goldberg on TV before the next pay per view. So why not? Why not make that <laughs> be the, the big thing you you build up to? But overall, I would have to say, yeah, mixed bag. I, I really loved some things on this episode, but I also really hated uh, some of them. Uh, how about you, uh, Evan? Where are you, where are you kind of sitting overall on, on things as a whole? Well, I'm not rushing back to watch next week, so I can't <laughs> say I can't say that I overall liked it. I, I think that especially too, because I kind of knew the premise of the podcast that this is a particularly crazy and bad year of WCW. That when it started, I was kind of surprised that I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe my standards are so are so low, or I don't know. I, I didn't hate it. But as it went on, uh, my <laughs> interest was waning. And I did find myself uh, having to take notes, not even so much as to have things to say, but I was just having trouble following what was happening. <laughs> and um, and then just so much repetition of uh, things, you know, how things were playing out. And, uh, yeah, so I would say a mixed bag, maybe even... Uh, a bad, bad, but so, so, some good moments. Yeah, it to me, this was uh, a tale of two halves. You know, it was the the best of times and the worst of times, or at least the not so worst of times <laughs> and the absolute worst of times. Because yeah, if you just look at the first, you know, forty five, fifty minutes of this program, it's it's not a bad show. And in fact, yeah. for 
the the curve of where we're seeing WCW in the year 2000, it's actually one of the better shows, that first 45 minutes. Like, I enjoyed the setup opening the show with Booker and, and the, the real emotion with Stevie Ray and with his wife. And even I didn't even mind the Scott Steiner involvement. But after that match with Booker and Awesome, the show just kind of fell off the rails. Like, it felt like Vince Russo had been a good boy for as long as he could. And now he's just like, you know, the old Popeye line. Like, I, I stood all I could stands and I can't stand no more. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and we just got so many run-ins, so many extra players, heels and faces, and, and you don't understand the alignments. And, yeah, the, the, the last hour is certainly a, a skippable part of the show if, if the listeners want to go back and watch this. Like, I'd say watch the first hour and then maybe watch the main event. But there's a lot of stuff on this program that, you know, you can skip through. How big is how big how big is the roster at this point to WCW? Because it also seems very thin. Yeah, uh, but it's not. You know, it feels like you keep on seeing the same people more than you should, or that is even necessary, and you're just not. Uh, it it just uh, there's something off. Well, at at its height in uh, like '97 to '99, WCW had a roster of 200 guys that they would fly to TV every week and wouldn't use. 70% of them. So now they're doing this whole crazy budgeting thing where they only bring people to TV that they need because they've wasted so much uh-huh. money. And pretty much anyone you see on TV is who they have. The Things are a lot tighter now than they were uh, a couple years ago. But so it sounds like, yes, it was a mixed bag for all of us. But now is the time where we must choose a silver lining, that one thing completely unvarnished that we would call a positive uh, from the episode. Evan, what, what is your silver lining for this episode? I think for me, silver lining, uh, Stevie Ray talking about growing up with Booker T, the real emotion of, you know, uh, having to sleep in the same bed, wear my clothes because you didn't have any cool clothes of yourself, and, like, I'm proud of you. You know, that real emotion up at the top did feel real unauthentic, and I I liked it. I always loved that kind of mixing a little bit of reality with the fiction. So I I would say right at the top, that, that would be my silver lining. Mm, yeah, that, that that to me was a, a highlight of the show. And uh, like I said, might have been my favorite part of the show. And I, I also enjoyed, you know, it's a small thing, but I liked how the announcers at first played it like Stevie was out here to cause trouble because the yes. last time we mm-hmm. saw them, they were in a feud. And and I, I like that they at least planted that little bit of doubt in the viewer's mind. And then, like you said, Evan, we got this great, real emotional story on this professional wrestling program. Uh, but I guess to be different... Uh, and so we were not all choosing the same answer. I'll say the Booker T. Mike Awesome match uh, was my highlight because even though it was placed in the wrong spot, you had two young guys going out there and actually working. And, and for a program that has seen a lot of Hogan's in title matches and uh, woke as he may be on Twitter, Kevin Nash's <laughs> on uh, in uh, title programs. It's good to see guys out there that are actually trying and, and working hard. And I thought Booker and Mike Awesome both worked really hard in that match. Uh, yeah, I mean, both both great things. I mean, this was certainly a, a good outing uh, for Booker. I think night one was not bad for him as world champion. For me, I've actually got to give my uh, my silver lining to the, the return of that that great man, that great Muda. Who, who came back because I thought his his spot with the spray in the mist and tank's face that that got a, a reaction out of me this crowd loved it I was surprised this crowd remembered muda and they started chanting his name right away 
Uh, I was a big fan of the great Ramuda, uh, the great Muda's return. Evan, we got to thank you for everything. Uh, you, oh, you, thanks, you, guys. It was a blast. You watched the episode. You talked about it with us, uh, and you stuck around because with our hiatus, we've been talking about having you on the show for a while. So we appreciate <laughs> all, all the patience. I, um, I was excited. I was excited to do it. Uh, it was a lot of fun, guys. Uh, well, glad you did. And, and if the listeners would like to have more uh, Evan Susser in their life, uh, where can they find you? What should they check out on the internet? Uh, at Evan Susser on Twitter. Uh, go back and listen to Doughboy's uh, Tournament of Champions uh, happening in March. For uh, you know, There's March Madness. We've got Munch Madness over on Doughboy's where uh, the first year we did best uh, chain burgers. The, then last year we did best fried chicken and this year we're doing best pizza which it's already happened but you can go back and listen to it now and you'll find what chain restaurant has the best pizza and i'm the commissioner of this <laughs> tournament of it's all very very stupid but very very fun um so yeah that's it and rent this fight on dvd or itunes or whatever listeners of this show know how much i enjoy doughboys and uh i'm looking forward to another uh another another one of your reigns on another tournament well it should it, it should be very stupid and very <laughs> fun um, <laughs> but uh yeah thanks for having me guys and thank you uh to the listener for completing another experiment with us if you haven't already please rate and subscribe on itunes and stitcher if you have feedback you can send it over to keep it 2000 pod at gmail.com and if you want more of me i'm at brian Maxman all over the internet uh, now, Nate, as always, I like to throw it over to you. Give the listeners that good word to hold them over until our next experiment. Yes, and again, I want to thank uh, Brother Evan for joining us up here on the satellite. That uh, you know, it's it's good to have his thoughts and contributions. And also, on a personal note, I have to give this man props because uh, I really dug Fist Fight, and oh, I have a, I have a coworker named Trisha. And whenever she, whenever she gets on my nerves, I, I, I quote that great scene uh, from the talent show. And, uh -huh. and uh, yes, so I, I have to thank you for that. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> I also want to thank the listeners for checking out another episode of Keep It 2000 and joining us up here on the Satellite of Hate. Uh, and if you want to hear more from me uh, or read more from me, you can check me out on Twitter at in the number eight M-O-Z-A-I-K at Nate Mosaic. Uh, and as Brian said, you know, I like to leave us on a, a positive note after all, you know, that we've watched this week. Uh, and I feel like we need a palate cleanser. So uh, on this episode, we saw the fake Prince, uh, Prince Iakea. Uh, and so I think we'll end with some wise words from the real Prince, Prince Rogers Nelson. And I'll tie it back to the episode we just watched. All hail the new king in town. Young and old gather round. Black and white, red and green. The hardest working man you've ever seen. I'll tell you what his name is. Booker Man, Booker Man. He can rock a party like nobody can. Russo's rules and regulations have no place in his nation because he's Booker Man, the Booker Man.
last week on Nitro, I proved to the entire world that at any given time, I could become the WCW champion. That's why this company's in the damn shape it's in because of bullshit like this. this, this, this.